like, oh, the Easter bunny. Maybe the Easter bunny will leave some eggs. All right. Well, today, our sermon message, for anybody that might be listening, is what is faith? Did you know that sometimes faith is climbing a tree? Did you know that? Right? What is faith? Faith is doing something. Right? If you have faith and you believe your car will start and get you to work, you get in your car and you turn the key. What? Because you have faith in that. If you believe, right, your neighbor will help you move something heavy, you walk over and ask him to help. If you believe that if you brush your teeth every morning, you won't get many cavities and your breath will smell better, what do you do? You brush your teeth. Belief causes us to do something. If I believe that the credit card is going to work, I ring it through at the register to pay for my groceries. Now, if I believe this card has been canceled, would I use it? No, right? I'd throw it away. I'd cut it up. If I believed that this car was faulty and if I drove it, gas was going to sputter everywhere and catch on fire, would I drive it? No. Your beliefs dictate your actions. Now, I will say this. Because of our humanity and our human nature, we sometimes don't do things that we believe are true out of convenience or out of fleshly desires. And what do I mean by that? I believe if I ate vegetables and no sugar and worked out every single day, I would lose 10 pounds. But do I do that? No. Now, I still believe it's true, right? But out of my human flesh, sometimes we don't act on what we believe. But action is that confirmation of belief. Okay? So I'm not saying we always do it, but that is a sign that we believe it, right? When you see somebody that does work out every day and does eat really healthy, you know that they believe it. Then they are actually doing it. Okay, so this is what I want to start our message with, is I really want you to get what is faith. Because I know for me growing up in a Christian church, it was always, you don't, you got to have faith. I didn't know what that meant. I'll be honest, right? Like, I just, I did believe in God and, and, you know, and I was like reading my Bible and doing all kinds of things and that I never really thought about. Like, well, what does that actually mean? What is, when you say to somebody, just have faith. Does that just mean thinking it in your head? You could think something in your head and not act on it. But when we act on it, something changes. So I want to read to you about um, Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. Now, some of you might know about Zacchaeus. Some of you might not. Some of you, you know, depending on how old you were, heard a little song. It's like, I can't read the first verse of Luke chapter 19 without saying, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And da 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 and he climbed up a sycamore tree. Now, what am I, I'm singing a song we teach the little kids, right? It's about the story I'm about to read to you. Okay, so let me read it to you. 
It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree, fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Okay. Now, we see right here that Zacchaeus wanted to see who he was. And his actions of believing that he was somebody really important caused him to climb a tree. Now, most of us wouldn't think much of it. However, you need to remember, they didn't really have underwear back then the way we did. So, I mean, right? You know, for a guy climbing a tree in his long robes in the Middle East at that time, that showed he had some gumption. He really wanted to see this guy. Now, hopefully, he grabbed, there's usually a piece they could pull up and tuck in, you know, kind of like a loincloth there. So, so don't let your imaginations go too wild. But my point is, it wasn't just as easy for him to be in a guy in a pair of shorts and a pair of good old sneakers to climb up a tree. I mean, it took a little bit of effort. And if you are short to begin with, sometimes it's hard to get up into a tree. I know because I'm kind of short, and sometimes I wish I could climb a tree, but I can't even reach the first limb. But this guy, his belief and desire to see Jesus was so strong that it caused him to figure it out. He did something. Now, of course, Jesus walked by. So it says Zacchaeus, because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and he climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All right, we see another action here. Now, he could have listened to what he said and said, Dude, I don't have time for that. But he didn't, right? He came down, as Jesus asked him to, and he said, yes, please come to my house. So he gets invited, right, to have them, and he, he accepts that and gladly welcomes them. It says, all the people saw this, and they began to mutter, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Hmm. Now, for us, culturally, when we think of a tax collector, we think of a man in a suit working in Washington, D.C. for the IRS. And we think, well, yeah, man, nobody likes to pay their taxes, but jeez, right? Does that make you a sinner to be the one to take the money from people? And we forget that the taxes were not going to their government. The taxes were going to a foreign entity who has taken over their government. So Rome has come in to Israel and has taken out their government and instead has placed their officials in there. But they were very interesting people, Rome. And they figured this out pretty quick. They, they conquered all the way up to England, up into Germany, um, you know, far east, far west, and south and north. And what they learned is that if they took over a country and they allowed the people to have their religious infrastructure, that people didn't fight them as hard. So they would go in there and they would say, okay, you can have your temple, you can have your gods. 
but we're going to take over the government. And so when you pay taxes, it's going to us, and it's going to go to Rome, and that's, that's how they built, built Rome. And so they knew, however, because the computers weren't quite invented yet, right? And all the filing cabinets with everybody's, you know, land contracts somehow got destroyed, that they would need to hire local guys. Why would they have to hire a local guy? Well, because a local guy knows that this family down the street really actually has a thousand acres in the town next door. They wouldn't have had any other way other than the elders of the town to know that, for them to be able to know who owes what and what really was going on. So they would hire Jewish men and they would educate them. They would make sure that they knew you know, how to keep track of numbers and what to do and, and, and knew what was going on. And so a lot of these Jewish men, they knew that they were going to be hated by their countrymen. So the only reason why they did this was because of greed, because they could then ask for more. Again, you don't get a letter stamped by the Roman government with a little signature of the Caesar for every single person in that town. So the tax collector could say, hey, you owe $1,000 this year, even though really he knows he's only going to send $200 to Rome. And so he would keep the extra money that was his incentive for everybody in town hating him. He could save up enough money when he was ready to retirement, he could take all that money, move to a different town, be somebody important somewhere else, you know, however they, however they wanted. He could buy friends because he had the extra money. But people literally saw this as a sin against God because there are rules in the Old Testament, which was their current law at this time, that explained to them about, you know, not taking advantage of your fellow Jewish brother and sister. And so these, these guys that were tax collectors were not only considered sinners, they were hated. They were hated because nobody trusted them. Do I really owe $1,000? How much of this are you keeping in your pocket, dude? If I don't do this, you're going to go and grab the Roman soldier that's down here in our town monitoring us, and you're going to make him come and like beat me up and kick me out of my home, and you're going to steal any wealth I have in my house, and you are my Jewish neighbor? How dare you do this? It's interesting in some of the passages when Jesus was out there, you know, it'd say, Jesus was with the prostitutes, the sinners, and the tax collectors. Like they would always you know, say that a little extra. Now, the zealots in town, right, those were the political people that wanted the Romans out so bad. They wanted the tax collectors to be punished, and they wanted the Romans out. And what did Jesus have for his 12 disciples? One was a tax collector, and one was a zealot. Talk about bringing opposite ends in the spectrum. Why would he do that? Because God loves both. God is there for both. Now, this is really hard concept for us because we still don't really have anything to understand with that. I mean, I could say, like, if, you know, Russia came here and, you know, one of your neighbors is, you know, ratting on you to the Russians about whatever, and we still don't quite get it. So think about in Germany, the Nazi Jews, right? What, the Nazis are going after the Jewish people. And after the war is finally done, what do they do? They take the Nazis and they go to war crime courts, Right and convict these guys and put them in jail. Or in some cases, they killed them, depending on what their offenses were. So think about this. When the Roman occupation was done, that's what the Jewish people planned on doing to these IRS guys. 
these tax collectors. You just wait, buddy. One day when the Romans are gone and you don't have those Roman soldiers backing you up, we're all getting our money back. So Jesus is just walking through the town. He's heading to Jerusalem. Everybody knows he's coming. There's a crowd all around him. They're wondering what he's going to do. They're wondering who he's going to talk to. And he talks to Zacchaeus. Really, dude? Are you really God? Are you really the son of God? Because if you knew who you were talking to, you wouldn't be going to his house. Well, yeah, you want to go sit at his table. He's got the most money in town. Of course, he's going to serve you the best meal. The people didn't understand this. But that just shows you how good the God we serve is. We serve a God who doesn't look at what you're doing and says, you're not worthy. He looks at us and says, you need me. You need to be loved. You need forgiveness. You need something. And the only way you're going to get it is through me. What's interesting, I always love how when the people talked about Jesus and they said he was eating with prostitutes, he was eating with sinners. They didn't say he was eating with former prostitutes. He was eating with former sinners. It doesn't ever say that Matthew was no longer a tax collector. They always refer to him as a tax collector. It's interesting how in the midst of what they were doing, God still loves them and still wants to be with them. So many times we believe that as soon as I become saved, everything that I've done that was ever wrong just like fades away and I'll never do that again. Now there are some cases where people get saved and maybe an addiction. Um, I've heard of people that maybe smoked cigarettes or were an alcoholic. But that was a desire of their heart. They, when they accepted Christ, they asked for that to be removed, and it, and it was. Then there's other people that want that to be removed when they accept Christ, and it doesn't go away, and they still have to fight that. The point is, it doesn't matter what you're struggling with. God wants you to invite him to his house today. Right? God wants to go and be with you. He doesn't want you just hanging out in the tree and watching him as he passes by. He wants you to say, it doesn't matter that I might have stolen money hidden underneath the floorboards of my living room. I want to come in and sit down with you and have a meal and talk. So Zacchaeus He's asked. Jesus reached that spot. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, Zacchaeus' belief 
in Jesus and the fact that salvation had come to that house led him to a decision that I don't need to hold on to this wealth because I can give it away and God is still going to have me no matter what. Now, he doesn't necessarily ask all of us to do that. Sometimes he does. But in this particular case, what's interesting is what Jesus says about Zacchaeus. He says, because the people were muttering, what a sinner he is. Why would you go and stay with him? And Jesus says that this man, too, is a son of Abraham. What is he saying? Look, it didn't matter what his occupation was. He's a son of Abraham. See, we become the children of God. It says that we're adopted into his kingdom when we ask Jesus into our hearts. And we, too, are children of God. Now, when we fully understand what God has for us, then sometimes we're able to let go of the things that harm us or harm others. Now, Zacchaeus taking more money than he deserved because there was a formula of how much they were supposed to take for their for their wages but because he took more it might have felt like to him that that was benefiting him but obviously it harmed others but ultimately it ended up harming him as well because people in town no longer wanted to associate with him now there are things going on in our life that we do that maybe we know we shouldn't do but we do it and we have some sort of excuse right we have some sort of reason behind it maybe it's you know maybe we had some sort of trauma when we were children and and we find that doing this brings us comfort and usually earthly sin brings earthly pain and so sometimes there's consequences in our life depending on what that is and a lot of times we know this we know right I shouldn't be doing this Zacchaeus knew what he shouldn't shouldn't be doing that's why after Jesus comes in and he totally feels loved and accepted and realizes God's going to love me no matter what. He could let go of all of the stuff that he had collected and he said, look, I'm going to give half of it away because I know I've got more than double that I would ever need. And if somebody can come and show me, you know, if I actually cheated somebody, I will pay back four times what I took. His ability to let go of what needed, he needed to bring comfort to him was 100% purely because of the acceptance he felt from God before he ever did that. That's what's remarkable, is he chose to do that after he felt accepted from God, and God accepted him in the midst of his greed. A lot of times, though, what happens is, is we think that I can't go to God, I can't really be fully accepted, I can't invite him into this situation, because I'm a disappointment to God. And I remember hearing a sermon recently, and I thought this is so profound, and it, and it was a, just a great way to explain it. And for some of you, we, we have disappointments, right? I always say disappointments are when we have unrealistic expectations, right? If, if I believe that my children are going to go to school and get straight A's, I'm going to be disappointed, right? Because I have an unrealistic expectation of what they're actually going to want to do. And so when we don't get straight A's, we think God is disappointed in us. 
But see, that's a fallacy. That is, that's false thinking. I have an expectation, but the reality is, right, that at least my children are never going to get straight A's. When we say, I didn't get straight A's, God's so disappointed in me, you have to understand, he is not disappointed because he never expected us to get straight A's. He's got superior intelligence and ability to see, and he looked down there and said, Mary, it's okay to be a C average student. Mary, it's okay if you got an F on that paper. I don't love you because of your knowledge of chemistry. I love you because of who you are. So when we find ourselves in a house with stolen treasure under the floorboards, and we think, I can't invite God into this mess. One day I'll figure this out, then I'll invite him in. Or I'll just have to figure this out on my own. We are wrong in thinking that God is disappointed and doesn't want to come in there. He already knows. He already knows. God does not have expectations that are false. Because God knows exactly our humanity, where we are, what we were going to do before we even did it, and he still chose us. He still said, I love you, I want you, and our faith is the action of when he says, can I come in, we invite him in. Our faith is the action of, hey, I'm going to get an opportunity to see God. Where's the best place to see him at? For all of you sitting in the back, it's in the front row. No, I'm teasing. You get, to, you get to feel them in your seat even if you're at home right now watching on Facebook Live. I'm just teasing. But for Zacchaeus, he had to climb a tree. And that was the first exhibit of his faith. The second was when he was invited to invite Jesus to his house, he accepted that as well. So how do we express our faith? Right? For some of us, it's getting in a place where you can see them. Right? Or hear them or be with them. For some of us, that means setting an alarm in our phone so that every Monday at 9 o'clock before we go to bed, we read a chapter out of our Bible, we pray. For some of us, the thought of doing that is like, oh, Mary, I don't know. Now you're asking me to you know, do something I don't want to do. Okay. But come to church once a week, right? Go on to podcast and find a sermon. You can look up Great Lakes Dream Center if you want to hear an amazing, lovely female voice telling you the ways of God. Right? Maybe you go on YouTube and you find the little shorts and you find a one-minute encouraging word. Just be careful and know who you're listening to because not everybody who professes the name of the Lord right, is not going to deceive you or send you down the wrong path. We know the Bible tells us to be cautious of that. Most of the people that have really good, encouraging words that are following the word of God are well-known, and if you're not sure, you can always message me. I'll give you a list of some really good ones. What is my point? When you put yourself in the tree, you're getting a chance to see Jesus. You're giving yourself a chance to be in his presence. You're giving yourself a chance to learn of his ways. You're giving yourself a chance to grow in him, and that is an act of faith. I know that the word of God is going to help me, so I'm going to read my Bible. 
I know that talking to God is good, right, and is going to connect me with him, so I'm going to set aside time every day to pray. I know that getting an encouraging word when I'm down is going to bring me up, and so I'm going to hear somebody tell me about Jesus. And then when he says, invite me in, invite me in. I want to come to your house and hang out. Don't think about the money under the floorboards. Don't be thinking about the dust you just put under the rug. Don't be thinking about all the dirty clothes you just shoved under your bed. Don't be thinking about when was the last time I scrubbed that toilet. Don't be thinking about the dirty dishes in your sink. Say, yes, please come over. See, Jesus wants into our house no matter what kind of mess you have. If there's nowhere for him to sit, he will stand. Why? Because he just wants to be with you. He loves you. He doesn't care what your neighbors think about you. He doesn't care what you think about you. Because he knows the truth. And the truth is you are precious to him. And when you accept that invitation and let him come over, that is an act of faith. But we have to change our mentality, right? We have to change this thought that says God only wants to be with me when I'm perfect or God doesn't want to be with me because I'm an awful, dirty dog sinner. Guess what? I have dogs and they get dirty. They go out in the spring, especially out in the mud. My little dog will find dead frogs and roll around in them. I have never once taken that little dirty dog and thrown him in the trash and says, you're gross, I don't ever want to see you again. <laughs> if you could smell what he smells like when he is in a dead frog, ooh. But guess what? We keep him. And I still let him lick my face. And I still let him snuggle up with me in bed. And I still think he's the cutest puppy in the world, even though he's not a puppy anymore. And think about this. If me, a human, though I be evil, right, could just love this dirty dog, how much more does your Father in heaven love you? He loves you and wants to be with you. Your faith invites him in even though he's still trying to get there. But I'm encouraging you to think about Zacchaeus here. Think about the courage he had to have and the thought to like get himself in a place to see Jesus and then the willingness to invite him in. Now, some of us might think, well, Mary, if I have to be like Zacchaeus, then does that mean I have to give away half or whatever? Nope, you don't have to. What we see here is that Jesus accepted him well before he gave anything away. And that acceptance filled the hole in Zacchaeus that needed to be filled for him to feel free to do that. I don't know what your hole is. And it might take more than one meal for it to be filled. But the more you spend time in the presence of God, and as you begin to ask him to help you and to reassure you, you'll figure out what that is or God will reveal it to you or maybe you'll have that hole until you go to heaven but I promise you when we're in heaven we'll be fully restored and along the way Jesus is not disappointed 
He didn't expect you to fix your broken heart all by yourself. You know what? They've got these smart cars. Has anybody heard of that? You know, we got smartphones. Have you ever heard of those smartphones? Has a smartphone ever fixed itself? Has a smart car ever just said, oh, my oil needs to be changed? Let me drop this gasket and pour this in. No. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. That's why we needed Jesus. Even though we're smart, sometimes we can't fix ourselves. But are you going to invite the person in that can fix you over? For me to have the plumbing fixed, I need to invite a plumber into my house. So here's the thing. No matter what your issue might be, don't worry about that. Get yourself in a place where you can act on that faith. Do something. Do something. Get yourself up in a tree this week. I mean, right now you're kind of doing that, so bravo. But you can do something again tomorrow. You can do something again Wednesday. You can, you know, you can spend a few minutes and, and say, I'm going to read the book of John because Pastor Mary keeps saying that if I really don't believe that God loves me, I need to read the book of John. Or I'm going to read the book of Matthew because I need a healing in my body. And the book of Matthew is going to is going to remind me of how much Jesus wants to heal me. Whatever, whatever it might be. Maybe you're just going to read the Psalms. Be encouraged. Wow. Be careful which one you read because some of those, man, they just lament. They just lay it out there. But sometimes when you read that, when you're having a bad day, you're like, Shh, he had a bad day too. And it's okay to say to God, what are you doing? I need your help. Because we live in a fallen world and sometimes we just need to let them know where we're at. I'm going to pray for all of you, and I really hope that you understand fully what Jesus was saying here. In verse 9 of Luke chapter 19, he says, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you feel lost today, oh, good luck. Yay, right? Don't just sit there in that and think, I'm lost. There's nothing for me. No. You need blessings. You need to know the truth. The truth is he came to seek you. He came to save you. He came to be at your house and to love on you. So, you know, I hope one day that we can all understand that we've all been lost that we all needed Jesus to come after us. When he talks about the 99 and that one lost sheep, it's like, come after me because I need you to save me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that the interaction Jesus had with Zacchaeus was recorded for us to be able to um, examine and look at and to understand and see how that we can apply that to our lives. We all have something hidden under the floorboards in our house that we hope nobody ever sees. But you see us, and you see the reality of our lives, and you still want to come over and be with us. As we exhibit our faith in knowing and believing that you are real and that you can transform us and that you can bring healing to us, we invite you in. We ask you, Father God, to help us this week as we look for ways to see you, to be in your presence, and to continuously invite you in. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Amen. Well, there's sign-ups in the back about with Good Friday.